listening to the Food Talk Show. Hi there, my name is Sue Nelson and I've been put off by the fact that Ollie Lloyd is dad dancing again Uh, and uh, for the next 30 minutes hopefully he's not going to dance and uh, we'll be talking about all things food and drink. You seem in a very, very jolly mood. Well, things are heading in in a direction that make me a bit happier at the moment. Really? Mm. I'm not sure what I think. Um, and so I am joined by my fellow presenter, Ollie Lloyd, from who's the founder of Great British Chefs, and Holly Shackleton of um, Speciality Food Magazine. Hi. Hello. You all right? Good, how are you? Yes, I'm very good. Now, I've got two lovely guests today. Um, I've got Bronte Orrell of Scandi Kitchen. Hello. How are you doing? I'm great, thank you. Good, good. And Will Evans. Now, Will Evans does, does loads and loads of different things. Essentially, I guess the best way to describe you is you're a farmer. That's yes, the simplest way. That is you, the day job. You're being introduced and go, here's Will, he's a farmer. Yeah, that's what pays the bills. Exactly. Um, but he's launching uh, an amazing thing called Eat Farm Now. And he also does a podcast called Rock and Roll Farming. That's right. Are you in competition to us, Will, and we shouldn't have invited you? I am I'm <laughs> not even close to being in your league. Uh, oh, I don't know what that flattery means. Flattery gets you. Well, I'm not sure that is flattery. Right. Is, it, is, is it flattery or not? Um, now, uh, I'd, I'd like to talk about farming as such, if I could. Um, I, I live in Kent and we've got a huge rural community, which I think people sometimes forget. Um, massive rural community. Um, I was going to ask Ollie, um, if you look at, you know, we're in the middle of London, as we know. We, we, we think are. it's very urban uh, uh, there place. There are some flower beds outside. There are some flower beds outside. If if you were were considering UK, how much of the UK do you think is built on? You know, if you were to give it a percentage. <sighs> and by that, I mean covered in, you know, uh, buildings, roads, car parks, railways, paths. What people might call concreted. I don't urban. even know where to start on that number. I really don't. I mean, it, because it's because it feels like on times this is a very populated country when you're in places like London or Birmingham mm. or Manchester. But it's also the, the, the cities are green, and then there's a lot of countryside. But we have we seem to struggle to build new houses. So I don't even know how to answer that question. So you've not even me. got a tiny percentage in your head. No, I mean I, I don't even. I mean, no, Holly, I am going to say forty percent. I feel like it's less than we may think. Forty percent of the country is is got buildings and roads and rails and all that sort of stuff on. That's what you think. I'm talking about the UK. I don't know anymore. Yeah, fifty percent. I 50%. don't know. Okay. So um, recently, uh, there were conflicting definitions of the calculations. Uh, it's quite. It's, you can imagine it's quite tricky uh, to work it out. And and uh, last summer there was a huge mapping um, exercise that went on by the UK National Ecosystem Assessment people and um, 500 experts analyze vast quantities of data and produce what they claim is the first coherent body of evidence about the state of Britain's natural environment and I think it's something we should all know about. So having looked at all the information they calculated that the urban landscape accounts for 10.6% of England. That's England. That's England. Yeah. Uh, 1.9% of Scotland, 3.6% of Northern Ireland and 4.1% of Wales. So if you put that another way and you look at the whole of the UK, that means that almost 93% of the UK is not urban. So 93% is not built on. 
And now that so, is not what people think in their no, heads at no. all. No. Is it? Um, and even that isn't the end of the story because urban is not the same as built on. Uh, so, for example, in urban England, the researchers found that just over half of the land in our towns and cities is green space. Wow, that's good, isn't it? So you've got parks and, you know, um, 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 sort of spaces like that, allotments, sport pitches and all that sort of thing. And, of course, you've got domestic gardens um, and reservoirs and lakes. And so their conclusion, woodland covers 12.7% of the UK, which is the highest proportion since records began in 1924. Um, and in England, actually, when they boiled it down, uh, England's landscape, which is built on, is 2.27%. Say something, Ollie. I, just, I mean, I, th I think it's... And in your head, you've got 40 to 50%. But I think most people have yeah. got that in their head. But it depends where you live, isn't it? Look, you know, yeah, I live in the centre of, of London, you know, and there is, you know, there there's some nice parks nearest, absolutely. But but you don't feel that, you know, you... you you've... Well, that's what you're told. I mean, oh. anybody who flies in from, from, you know, back from holiday, it's just field, it's it's fields... It's fields and fields and fields. Isn't yeah, it? well, because I obviously live in Suffolk um, and it's only an hour away from London, but it's just fields as far as the eye can see. And even kind of going through Essex, that's all fields as well, which people wouldn't assume, would they? So mm. it's good news. Now, if you think that 2.27% is built on, um, agriculture uses 69% of that. It's massive. So agriculture is such an important thing. Mm. Uh, and, you know, with what's been happening recently, I think I think farmers are a bit unsung heroes, would you say, Will? They're sort of a bit forgotten. It's like, it's just on country file, which, by the way, for me, is worse than watching a plank warp. That's just my personal opinion. Um, uh, yeah, it's interesting you say that. It very much divides opinion. Uh, it feels like it's a farmers. hobby somehow, yes, whereas it's not. Uh, although I have been on it, so I don't want to... Uh, 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 there you go. Um, Adam Hansen is uh, a really nice guy, actually. Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think people maybe don't quite appreciate the work that we do i don't want i don't want to say we're heroes because we're all we're all doing the job that we want to do but um yeah i think sometimes we can feel a bit neglected perhaps um we don't haven't always had the chance to tell our stories um, there's a lot of misinformation about farming i think out there um which is why sort of what i'm trying to do with the podcast and trying to sort of interview normal farmers who wouldn't necessarily have a voice um and talk about what they're doing um so if agriculture uses 69% of the country's land area, but it only employs 1.5% of the workforce. So um, I suppose it's because it's so efficient now, is it? I guess so. I mean, yeah. I mean, my grandfather is is uh, 97, uh, still around, still uh, fully with it. And I took him out last year. I was baling straw, big tractor, and we got a huge square baler. And I took him out on the tractor and he started off where he would take him, uh, he would plow him with a horse and it'd take him uh, a day to plow one acre. Well, I can I can plow 30, 35 acres in a day now mm. quite easily. So what we, the way it's come on has been incredible and, and technology, we're really on the verge of a fourth agricultural revolution now with robotics and uh, satellite technology. It's a very exciting time to be in the industry, but yeah, certainly productivity has gone through the roof in recent times. But if we've if we've got all of that land, and you know, it's very important. You know, sixty nine percent of it is agriculture. How how is it that we produce less than sixty percent of the food that we eat? I just don't understand. 
Yeah, it's a million dollar question, I suppose. Uh, I don't know. A lot, a lot of farmers would ask that question too. Um, I suppose it's a lot to do with trade. Uh, the supermarkets, um, cheaper and cheaper food. But what price do you put on that cheap food? It, it does have a price uh, on the environment or communities. I, mean, I live in North Wales. There's not a lot else there apart from farming. Um, villages where I live, if you're not a farmer, you are certainly working in an industry that depends on agriculture. So um, it's very important. Um, and I would argue that the the race for cheaper and cheaper food has had a big impact on that. But it's also the case that we as a country have embraced quite an international cuisine and therefore we are obviously, yeah. you know, I'm always interested when you talk about, you know, when you talk to the fisheries guys, um, actually how much of what the... English, Scottish and Welsh fleets catch actually ends up in the UK, which is actually basically none. You know, most of it, what we actually catch here goes into Europe. And, you know, so there's, a, you know, we're part of an international supply chain. Mm -hmm. How that will evolve, continue, expand, you know, no one knows. But what's interesting, I think, is that, you know, in some ways, the, the, the negative, of course, is we're not self-sufficient, but the positive actually is, I think, the international cuisine that we, we are so lucky to have. I just, um, you know, I just find it crazy that, 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 you know, I know a really great, um, huge uh, farming business in North Kent, that's where I live, uh, called AC Goten, great, great um, company. They've invested very heavily in their orchards over the last five or ten years. It's a huge investment. Um, and they're the biggest supplier of apples and pears into the UK supermarkets. You know, and they're, they're employed local people as well as people from Europe. Um, and, you know, we've got these amazing... In Kent, if you go around, it's nothing but apples and pears everywhere <laughs> and soft fruit. Um, and then I'll go into Sainsbury's and there's something, there's blackberries from somewhere else. And I just don't, like, why? I just don't get it. This, you know, because uh, we'll export, yeah. we'll export and then they'll import. So it's like, so this is this sort of contra importing, exporting going on. It's like, well, why do we do that? Why don't you just, why don't we just keep ours and they just keep theirs? But, <laughs> but, but, but I think part of it is, we were, t we, we were talking about this in some ways, which is that in the end, if the UK consumer is not prepared to pay for quality goods, it is the right of the farmer to export quality stuff where they can get a better price. And in the end, you know, the supermarkets do a great job of getting food into our supply chain very cheaply, um, which is the sort of, that's how they survive. That is their raison d'etre. Um, and so you'd sort of, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. I think, you know, increasingly we are part of an international supply chain where, if truth be told, quality product will go to the highest bidder. And maybe we, in the long term, are not going to be able to afford quality products. Mm. How are the farm shops and, and delis coping with it, Holly? I think, well, they um, they naturally have a connection with the farmers that, you know, they're sourcing from from local producers and local suppliers. And, you know, they could be a farm shop that's actually based on a farm. So they naturally have that connection. And, and the shoppers um, going to the farm shops, that's kind of what they're after and they're willing to pay a bit extra um, for the quality and for that connection. Um, so I think in terms of, you know, compared to the multiples, I I would think that the smaller independent retailers are in a safer position maybe because they're already, their consumers are already educated in terms of the value of locally produced quality food. Mm. And, and so what's your, you've got a day job, obviously Will, um, but what's your, you know, sort of passion? Because I think you feel quite strongly that ordinary farmers as opposed to the posh ones on the BBC, <laughs> um, sh should just have a voice and tell their stories so that, so that people understand what their, you know, what their everyday existence is like. Yeah, I think food production in the UK has sort of been catapulted back into the mainstream over the last 10, 15 years for various things. 
climate change and people are a lot more interested in where their food comes from. Um, and of course, with the internet and smartphones, information is easier to get on it than ever, but there's also a lot of misinformation out there and farmers don't always get the chance to put their side of the story across. It, it can feel like every day there's a, there's a negative story about farming, whether that be blaming farmers for livestock emissions or you you hear people use very emotive language like drowning so, the countryside in chemicals and things. So what you're saying is that people are blaming farmers for, for cows and that affecting greenhouse gases? Is that yes, I mean, I mean, we all have to look at the responsibility and there is a fact that agriculture has a huge effect on the climate, but um, there are lots of other things that do as well and I think it can feel like sometimes we are a scapegoat as a community. Um, and to be honest, I've talked to a lot of farmers. It, there's a lot of mental health problems in farming, um, so, and, I, and it's something I've talked to a lot of people about on my podcast. It can feel like we're a bit under attack, and I, and I don't mean that in a... I don't want to feel sorry for ourselves. There's a lot of mental health problems in a lot of other industries as well, but it's a serious issue, a lot of isolation, and it can feel like, oh, what now? You know, What are we being blamed for now? Um, so what I'm trying to do is sort of help magnify these voices, um, and talk to people so that if people are interested in the people who are producing their food, they can come and listen and, and they can they can hear from the from the horse's mouth, so to speak, about what they're doing and about their lives and everyday everyday struggles to produce the food that we're so lucky to have in this country. I mean, I think, um, you know, we tend to have a really good time on this show and, and we enjoy it very much. But behind that, we're very keen to get other people's stories told and that, that there's some amazing produce here and there's some there's some great stuff going on mm. in the UK. Um, and, and just trying to give that a profile and a platform. Mm. Um, so, yes, we do, <laughs> we do indulge ourselves. And, but, but, you know, but all three of us... Because of the because of our other day jobs, are very keen, aren't we, to, to to champion the producer and the chef and the and we talk a lot about you know we have this metaphorical chicken that we always talk about you know the price of the chicken and what you're prepared to pay and I think you know we all understand that you know if you want to produce a quality item you have to put time and energy and you have to not you have to avoid shortcuts and you have to do certain things and I think you know I think the more we can tell get people to understand what goes into producing stuff the better. I think actually one of the most mm. positive things about the, the, the data you shared at the beginning, Sue, is it does imply that, you know, when I look at the data about people who are growing their own and, you know, creating stuff, actually, it's really important people do, if they can, do a little bit of that because it does show you how much work goes into producing, you know, one cucumber. Mm. Yeah, I mean, when I had allotment, because you all laughed at me, but because I was brought up no, in the city. jealous. Yeah, I was brought up in inner city of London. I didn't know where any of that stuff came from. And I was really shocked, you know, because I'd plant all this stuff and I expected it all to come up. And it's like, well, I've only got three cucumbers. I planted 10. How did that happen? Yeah. Uh, but but that's that's how it works. And yeah, it's a big gamble. Some blooming slugs got in there. That was, <laughs> I was beside myself. And then a rabbit got in. Well, and I've, I think rabbits are cute. Now, if, if I'd have had a shotgun, I would have blooming found that thing. Yeah. Because it completely it's devastated delicious. the whole place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and it's all sorts of stuff, which, which you're... You can control some of it, but there's lots you can't control no, if, uh, in me, the farming world. <laughs> it's very, very stressful putting a lot of time and a lot of money into a crop and then leaving it, you look out your window on a day like this, um, uh, you know, it's out in the field, open to the elements, um, and, and yes, every crop is a gamble. Is it, is it true to say that every morning when you wake up, most farmers, the first thing they do is look at the, uh, the weather forecast? <laughs> I have six weather apps on my phone. Yeah, they're all absolutely... <laughs> Actually, this is a good question. And which one do you trust the most? 
<sighs> and also you're in North Wales, so you have to, you know, one has to sort of say it's about accuracy in North Wales is what matters to you. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's usually sideways rain, um, but uh, I, I mean, I tend to go back to the BBC weather app, yeah. I suppose. Isn't there a Norwegian one? There's one, there's no one that everyone talks about, which is sort of a Norwegian or Scandinavian one that, that is... Oh, I don't know. I haven't heard that one. We're going to go on to yeah, Scandinavia in a minute. Um, so tell us a little bit about um, your, your podcast and, and how can people... Because um, we're, we're keen to... Well, you know, we're not... Are we? We're not sort of... Huh? Competitive. <laughs> the more the more food can farming can get talked so about, the better. Give, give me a warning when he says it. I'm just going to say beep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's fine, okay. so so, so no where, one will know. So where can people listen to it? What? Beep. It's called uh, Rock and Roll Farming. Yeah. Um, because I wanted it to sound a bit different. Um, a couple of years ago, I decided that um, I would just start interest, uh, interviewing people uh, in the farming community and, and hearing their stories and what they do. Uh, I do it in my spare bedroom um, with a microphone and headset and a laptop and barricade the door to stop my four young daughters barging in. It's not as professional as this studio. But um, it's fantastic. I mean, I speak to people from quite conventional farmers to people who are doing really unusual things. And sometimes we talk about quite serious issues. Um, as, as I mentioned, mental health. Um, sometimes I talk to... I mean, I've, I've spoke to Michael Gove on the podcast. I spoke to Manette Butters, who's the um, leader of the NFU. Um, it's been fantastic and it, it, I think I mean I've had excellent feedback it's quite difficult to um, strike a balance between appealing to farmers and non-farmers uh, as, as we mentioned country file earlier I think they find that difficult because it can be a bit woolly um, uh, you can be accused of not being um, very technical but if you go too technical then it yeah. turns off non-farms obviously so that can be difficult but I do get good feedback I mean I get listeners all, all over the world never fails to amaze me really so and, and i mean farmers aren't necessarily the best at talking about what they do and we're quite reserved i think as an occupation so if you can get them talking um about what they're passionate about which is usually their livestock uh or, or their crops then then they're away also for me um the, the the sort of average age of the farmer in the uk is is now 59 mm -hmm. um and we've really got to encourage uh, younger people to enter what is can be a fabulous um, sector, can't it? Definitely, yeah. I mean, I mean, actually, one of the fastest growing demographics in UK agriculture is young women, which is fantastic because, as you say, it's sort of always been a bit of a um, sort of middle-aged white man's game. Um, but it, it's changing. There's a lot of interest in people coming in, a lot of first-generation farmers who who the world's their oyster, but they've decided to to become farmers um, because they really want to do it and and they've got a thirst for it and that's that's brilliant it's brilliant to see and that and what they're doing is pushing boundaries and asking questions and doing things maybe a bit differently nothing wrong with that no exactly yes exactly. very good well um good luck with it we'll we'll return to that towards the end of the program and make sure we've got some links to all of that now um uh bronte yeah. you, you had a bit of a, a rubbish journey here so we've poured you a cup of tea <laughs> thank uh, you has your heartbeat gone down uh, absolutely and you're okay now. you're okay now yeah. great <coughs> now you're um you're renowned for scandy kitchen I am. <laughs> what is Scandi Kitchen? Well, Scandi Kitchen started about 12 years ago as a as a little cafe and a food outlet to sort of satisfy Scandinavian people in London, satisfy their homesickness needs, chocolate and uh, other Scandinavian goodies. Um, and 12 years on, we have grown to, we still have the cafe and the little shop, um, but we also have an import business. 
Um, we supply uh, a large UK supermarket with Scandinavian foods. Um, we have a web shop. Um, we're agents for many Scandinavian brands, and we have our own brand as well now. It's a bit like a, a Brindisa of the Scandinavian yeah. world. Brindisa, really? Yeah. Mm. So you are the moniker of Scandinavian. You are moniker <laughs> I think there's a of, uh, Scandinavian food. Um, so when <clears throat> I think of Scandinavian food, in my head, uh, I just think of pickled herrings, mm-hmm. gravlax, and meatballs. When I go to IKEA. Yeah, it's more than that, though, isn't it? I would say so. I mean, Scandinavia is three and a half times the size of the UK, and actually, our food culture is quite varied. Um, from the the southern parts of Denmark, very flat, lots of farming, especially pig farming, to right to the north of Norway, where there isn't any pig farming and it's more mountainous and very cold. I mean, our food culture is as varied as that, you know. Um, so, Scandinavian food in Sweden is your meatballs, your mash, and your lingonberries and, and stuff like that. Whereas in Norway, it's lots of brown cheese, goat meat, and, and stuff like that. And in Denmark, it's it's bacon. <laughs> yes, it's It's pigs and bacon. Right? Yeah. That's, that's yeah. All there is. I say I'm a big fan of scray. Scray, which is the Norwegian, the very early cod you get, which is like yeah. the really kind of high quality. Fun. I mean, some of, the, some of the fish that comes out of Scandinavia yeah. is amazing. amazing. Yeah, North Sea fish, yeah, amazing, amazing. Mm. Lots of amazing seafood as well. Mm. And it is said that the Scandinavian diet is among the healthiest in the world. Uh, diet of, I know we're, we're trying to, I suppose we're trying to generalise here, but what you're saying is, is we're talking about a big land mass and mm-hmm. there's, there's quite a difference. Yeah. But, you know, in general, um, diet of fatty fish, cabbage, root vegetables, rye bread, things like that. Um, and you've in, in Sweden, obesity levels are as low as 10%. Yeah. Uh, whereas we're 25% here. Well... Is that to do with food? There is... A- the first part of, of this is that there are a lot of common things amongst the way that we eat, even though we are a massive, massive place. So you have lots of rye. I mean, it grows very easily in Scandinavia. We have lots of rye. Um, we have lots of cabbage, a lot of root vegetables. So yes, and we have a lot of fish, especially a lot of herring. So it makes sense. So there's a lot of, of oily fish and, and common common denominators amongst all our food. Um, so there are something that brings us together. Uh, in terms of the Nordic diet, I mean, that all came about in about 2009, a study at the University of Copenhagen by Anna Astrup, where they looked to see if eating a, the original Nordic diet from the land would be as healthy as, say, the Mediterranean diet. And they found that, well, yes, it is. But I think it's, that's it's true of many places. Healthy. Yeah, it's yeah, true of many places. You could say if that of Japan. Eat, yeah, you? exactly. If you eat from the land and eat locally and eat the stuff that our ancestors ate, a thousand years ago, then probably you're not going to end up massive, you know. And uh, there's not a massive culture of sort of uh, ready meals, is there, and, and, and no. uh, fast food? What, what fast is food is very popular, oh, okay. actually. I, I, but I think Scandinavians are quite good at, well, the word is lagom. It means everything in balance. So it means not too much, not, not too little, just right. So uh, Scandinavians eat sweets, but only on Fridays and Saturdays. Eat snacks on Fridays, sweets on Saturdays. So the fast food would only be once a week. It, it, it's very much a culture of, well, okay, if you have a pizza for lunch, then you must have salad for dinner. It, everything, the way we eat is in balance, more so than other places I've, I've lived. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and uh, But having said that, though, you bought something that I would say is not hugely imbalanced, bearing in mind I've had a big breakfast. It's true. <laughs> but it's very nice. Would, would you like to pass those yeah. over, Ollie? These are would you like to describe? Assemble. Yeah, so these are... And these uh, are for Easter, aren't they? Uh, yeah, they are between Lent and Easter. So these are uh, cream yeast buns filled Look with almond paste. Look at Holly's face. 
I'm now, very happy right now. So they are not calorie free, but they are seasonal and you only eat them this time of year. So okay, again, so just going to describe it. It must have oh. about 10 ton of whipped cream on the yeah. top um, and it looks like it might have a bit of sugar and it's a bun. Yeah. And, um, I like the idea of not calorie free. And Bronte said that it's they're like, not necessarily calorie free. Like well, you this, got that, this, this, you've got that right. <laughs> this whiskey is not exactly low in alcohol. No. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, if you eat them with your eyes closed, there's no calories. So we could try that. Right. Okay. And on radio as well, you can't see them. So exactly. Also that, that counts. Mm. There was actually a Swedish king, King Adolf Frederick, who died from eating too many of these, mm. actually, in 1714. He had 14. We had a king that died 14. of a surfeit of lampreys, but we didn't have one that died of a surfeit of cakes, did we? Uh, yeah. I mean, can't remember who that was now. So these are called semlon. Well, um, we have to talk, so I'm going to rely on you to go on. To try oh, one. Oh, try one, yeah, and see, <laughs> see what you think. I'm feeling terrible that I haven't gonna, bought anything. I was going to try and bring some eggs from the we, farm. But I'm going to see how I was going to see how messy it is while you're eating it, and we'll carry <laughs> so, on talking. So you said this is a special um, Easter or Lent Thank you. Yeah. dish. Yeah, people and you sell this in the cafe. It. Yeah, we do actually. Many, many thousands of them actually. We we tend to start. <laughs> Good luck with January, that, Will. It's going to go all over. Where, where you, so, so what's interesting about all this over is that if you imagine a donut where you've yeah. dug a hole in it and then yeah. put a load of cream on top, and, yeah. and then you stuck the top of the donut on top of that. So basically, what is facing? It's the size of Will. Actually, a question. Do you the size of Will's head? Is there a technique you can recommend? Yeah, or if, have you, you just if you take the lid off, okay, and use it as a scoop. Ah. Yeah, I oh, see, I'd have just stuck my head in that and it would have gone everywhere. <laughs> it gone everywhere. Yeah. Mm. But it's, you know, it's maybe when you get do... to the middle, which is full of, of marzipan, almond ah. paste. I think what we've discovered here is the ultimate thing to feed politicians. Because if they struggle with bacon rolls, Keeps imagine what they're going to do with one of these. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I think we've managed to convince the people of London <laughs> that this is the way to go. It's very, very good. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. But as I said, it's seasonal. And we do have people who come in, you know, just after Easter and go, but can, can we have these buns? And we go, no. They, they come back in January again. But I, actually, I really like this. One of the things that I don't think we're as good at in in Britain is that sort of really seasonal thing. I mean, obviously, mm. we have mince pies and other things. But I do love that idea. It's like panettone that only yeah. comes in at, at Christmas. Yeah. And there's an excitement. It's like panettone is in store. That's and actually, I think that's what things should be. And obviously, we, but sadly, we live in a culture where everything's meant to be available instantly. But that's where allotment's good, though. Because you do feel like that. Mm. It's like, oh, this isn't ready yet, and this isn't, but it will be soon. It's mm. very exciting. Um, tell me about, is it called Hygge? Hygge, yeah. Hygge. I like to call it Higgy, but you know I like to call that. So it's spelled H-Y-G-G-E. Mm -hmm. uh, what is that? Because it's, it's, it's being written about more and more, and I know you're an author as well. But... I am. So I have a, an issue with with taking a word and uh, trying to adapt it into another culture. It's very hard because yeah. to a Danish person like myself, it's, it's a word that we will use maybe 20, 30 times a day. We right. use it to describe many things. In, in, in essence, it means to appreciate the moment you're in while you're in it. Now, I might go, if I see my sister, I might go, oh, do you want to go hygge uh, this evening? And that just means, shall we meet up and, and have a nice time, have a switch time. off the TV, have a cup of tea? That could be hygge to us. It could be, did you have a hygge day uh, with your friends yesterday? You know, you, you basically keep affirming that you're having a nice time or you just had a nice time while you were doing it. It's just making sure everybody around you feels the same and you create this sort of space where there is no phone and there's no interruption, there's no time, where you just can't... Now, now we're having hygge now, we're having cream buns. Well, we are. Food helps with that. You're you know. talking and we're just hoogering. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's not wearing a slanket and, and nope. lying in front of your... Nothing to do with it. You don't need any money to hygge. The, the best, like last summer, I spent a weekend with my children in a tent 
eating biscuits and you know listening to the rain that's hygge because you you there's nothing else there it's just the moment that you are creating with people you love people you like you're having a nice time that's hygge and what's so I'm going to save Sue here and not ask her a question but we were also talking about there's that other term which is which is the antithesis of hygge potentially with underpants well, the Finnish word, I can't pronounce it. but the, well, you, Whatever pronunciation you use is better than our pronunciation. Well, so you can roll with People it. listening will laugh at me. It's Kalsanarakid, I think it is. Sorry, Finland. Uh, it basically means um, to sit at home in your, under, in your underpants, drinking beer with no intention of going out. It's a fantastic word. But we're world record holders at that in England, I would say. Yeah, that's just my life. Shut up. It's pretty literally like tumbling down. <laughs> Onto this sort of incredibly pristine. I mean, I spent every time we record in the studio, they have to. They hate us here. Because we got big girls such a mess. They also bring in sort of fragrance um, rods now. Uh, well, maybe because, we have, because we talk with stinky cheese. Cheese and, and God knows what else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, wow, I've just got, I've got cream everywhere. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, I should have brought nose. something. Maybe pickled herring. I'll well, bring it next no, time. No, no. Um, <laughs> I really what? like pickled herring. It's one of those... I do too. You know, I think it's... I remember it was used to have in a place called Russ and Daughters in New mm-hmm. York, which is kind of the institution there that sells it. And I said, where would you, where do you get good pickled herring in London? Well, Your apart place. from my shop. Yeah. <laughs> you sell it there? Yeah, we do. And we also supply Ocado, so they, they carry a, a line of uh, pickled herring. And of course, you can go to Ikea. But uh, Scandinavian pickled herring tends to be in a sweeter pickle and a sweeter brine than UK or Dutch herring. So okay. it is a little bit sweeter and easier to eat, I think, Roll mops is, you know, if you give that to somebody who's never had it before, might, you know, find it a little bit too much. But Scandinavian uh, pickled herring is quite soft. So this, this, um, hygge, Mm -hmm. I sang it right. Yeah. Is, uh, but it is quite important because more and more we're all attached to our phones, we've got emails, you know, having all over the place and, you know, stressed out work and all sorts of things. This is about taking a bit of a breath. Yeah. Taking, you know, just chilling a little bit mm-hmm. and making sure you're surrounding yourself with people that you love, really. Exactly. And I think that's why it struck a chord with the British public, it, it, you know, the people here, is that it's about reminding yourself that there is more to life than work. You, you should go home and you should put your phone in another room or switch it off and just spend some time with the people you live with, your children, your husband, mm-hmm. your wife. It's very important. As a friend of mine said that she could, she asked her kids what they wanted for, for dinner and they kept saying roast chicken. They kept saying they always just wanted roast chicken and one day she said well, why on earth did they just ask for roast chicken all the time and, and it, it clicked with her that that's the day, Sunday is the day that there is no phone that they all spend around the dinner table hmm. and so the kids associate roast chicken with uninterrupted calmness. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So my last Sunday lunch I had everybody around um, my two daughters literally stood on chairs from the age of th- three years old, you know, peeling stuff. And it definitely is seen as our family time, mm-hmm. really, and invite loads of people around. Um, and, and they're all scattered around, you know, doing things now. Anyway, they, so they all came uh, with their sort of husbands and stuff. They come around and, and the boys were going, we want to try and help, we want to try and help, but you all seem to know what to do and we can't sort of muscle in. It's because, like, it's all just clicked back into place. Yeah. So like, right, I'll do, I'm normally the potato person and I do this and I do that. And, yeah. and, it, and it's funny because it, it doesn't get lost even when, yeah. even 30 years later, yeah. they're still doing it and they sort of click 
you know, click straight into that. Nobody had any phones, nobody had any, no. and it just was, you know, it's straight wonderful, in. Yeah, it? it's good. Yeah. It's good, and we must do more of it, mustn't we? And that's how we create memories, isn't it? We don't yeah. often create memories of those evenings where we've all sat on our phones and looked at a small no. screen. That's not what we remember. And food yeah. is a good way of amazing way. making that happen. Yeah. It doesn't have to be food. But, no, but, but you have you have two or three friends around. Mm. The minute you put a bottle of wine on the table and, and some snacks, then suddenly you change... You change the whole atmosphere. It's something you're sharing, you know. But I just get incredibly upset when I go out and I see a couple or family. And I went to Berlin a couple of weekends ago. And it was a really nice family. And every single one of them was on the phone. Mm. They weren't actually communicating at all. And there's a lovely, beautiful cafe in Berlin. And they didn't even look at each other. No. Well, well, well how... I don't understand how that will start. Maybe. I mean, maybe. presume you don't let that happen with your. I mean, your kids are quite. No, no, no there, um, there's there's a lot of drawing and a lot of activities mm, and reading. stuff. And we we got very into a game called Sleeping Queens, which <laughs> kept us busy. All which is which where you have to wake up Sleeping Queens with sleep with kings, and there are sort of you know dragons and all sorts yeah, of stuff. Sleeping lions. Well, no, no, this it's a card game. Oh, but I think I think that it's also that kind of stuff. It's actually you know memories around. You know, it's why you know dining room tables. You know, are are the key. You know, the kitchen table, the fan. You know, the farmhouse table, which is always sort of the you know, the absolute concept of you know where where things are worked out. Mm. That's where you build memories. You say. And you've got four girls, so four you know, girls. I have. Yeah, lucky four, you. Four, four, four girls. Poor old Will, completely outnumbered. Yes, eight, seven, five, and three. Yes, I'm. I'm interested in, in that game, Ollie. I'm yeah, you need, <laughs> you need that. It's a great game. It's a great yeah. game. It's invented by a girl um, about twenty years ago. Okay. Mm. No, they're they're a, they're a handful, but they're great fun on the farm, running around like a little gang. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah, and they're a big help as well. Help me feed the calves and different things. That's oh, great, great way to be brought up. Mm. So, if anybody's interested in um, Scandi Kitchen, whereabouts are you? We're on Great Titchfield Street, uh, near Oxford Circus. Near Oxford Circus, so that's as about as central as you can get. Um, and uh, it's Scandi Kitchen, but you were born in Denmark, mm-hmm. uh, and you've been over here for quite a while now, I think. Yeah. Um, but but you're still really keen on making sure that 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 people understand how to live like a Scandinavian, should we say? Yeah, I mean, in a way. I think we have a lot to offer in, you know, not just hygge, but not just lagom or sitting around in your underpants. But I think we do have a, a lot to offer. <laughs> Which I'm naturally uh, good at, by the way. <laughs> in our culture, but also in our food culture. And I do think there is room on the British dinner table for uh, crisp bread, for example, mm. good crisp bread. Um, and... and some of our wild jams or meatballs, really good meatballs. I think there is there are there is a room, a space for us there. It might take a little while longer for us to get there, um, but I think there is space. I mean, crisp bread is a really good example. Yeah, Peter's no Yard, which is the sort of Peter's Yard is a great crisp bread. Um, uh, Lexand is a, another amazing, amazing crisp bread made only from rye. But I, th- I believe the statistic is correct me if you if you know it differently that the forty eight percent of bread produced in the UK goes to waste. Yeah, it's a lot. Uh, it is it's just something under along half. those lines. Yeah, it is just but under crisp half. bread, I think, has a space because it we see it as a bread rather than a cracker. Um, it doesn't go off really. It doesn't go stale. You just leave it in your cupboard, so you always have bread. So we're really trying to move the understanding of what other types of bread, like Swedish bread, can be, can actually be and how it can be beneficial to to reduce that kind of waste. I do like the dark rye bread. Mm-hmm. It's nice, nice. Uh, just my final question uh, for you then, Bronte. What is cloudberry jam? Well, cloudberry is a really elusive little orange berry. It looks a bit like a raspberry, but orange. And it grows um, on stalks, but only wild and only near the Arctic Circle. So really far north. Um, it only has a three-week season. 
Wow. And you can't cultivate it. <laughs> so it's incredibly rare then. So if you get any cloud, yes, cloudberry jam, get some. We do uh, actually have a Scandic Kitchen cloudberry jam, but uh, there is lots of cloudberries, but you just have to know where to find them and nobody's going to tell you their patch. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. the tricky bit, yeah, yeah. but there's loads of cloudberries. You just have to, you know, find somebody to tell you. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Bronte uh, Orel, for joining us at Scandi Kitchen. Um, we'll have lots of links and, and stuff uh, on the website. Um, if you if you haven't really experienced Scandinavian food, maybe you should, you know, apart from Ikea, which probably isn't a good representation, uh, maybe you should check some out and see what you think, especially hopefully when we're getting to the summer. Barbecues outside, nice clean, fresh food. That's probably what you want. Uh, very good indeed. And Will um, Evans of Eat Farm Now and Rock and Roll Farming. Love the podcast. I think it's an important thing that you're doing. Um, so um, if anybody likes listening to us, you should be listening to Will as well, don't you think? Yes. And <laughs> also with Eat Farm Now, what we're trying to do is is bring together people doing, putting out any good food and farm related content um, so they can replicate it on one one site so yeah if anyone is doing videos or podcasts or blogs on anything food related please uh, please do get in touch i think you put our program on there as well don't you? i am well, well I'm, I'm, Thank I, you. I'm, I'm a big fan um, I've, <laughs> I, we've been we've been myself and uh, our site editor jazz have been combing the internet looking for um good content and um i found yours i think i followed the gb chefs on Twitter, first of all, and then I found the podcast, and uh, I've been frantically listening to them all. So I got in touch, and um, yeah, we want to put that on the site. It's, um... uh, your wife uh, did say that somebody had been listening to your podcasts and 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 loved them, and uh, she wasn't very complimentary, was she? No, I had a message from a truck driver who'd listened to six in a row. Um, uh, very nice message, lovely message, and I told my wife, and she said, "God, I can't, I can't think of anything worse than listening to you for six hours." <laughs> <laughs> I do have some sympathy for it. <laughs> I'm sure it's absolutely fine. So, again, go onto the Food Talk website, and uh, we'll link you to Eat Farm Now and also uh, to Rock and Roll Farming. So, um, very good work. Uh, we love farmers, um, don't we, um, fellow presenters? Particularly those who are doing innovative stuff, and I think very wanna, important. You know, yeah. Talk about produce and stuff. Yeah. And if you are doing something innovative um, in the farming space or producing something amazing, don't forget, please, we've got our Future Food Awards, haven't we, Holly? We have. Uh, so Holly and me, we got together, haven't we? Because mm-hmm. uh, we had the Food Talk Awards and you had, what were yours called? New Producer Awards. Yeah. And we were thinking, that's silly. Why have we got, <laughs> why have we got two sets of awards? Um, uh, when actually, we, we're both very keen on um, innovation, aren't we? Mm-hmm. So um, so we've sort of amalgamated them in a way and um, we've got an amazing bunch of judges. I think you're a judge, aren't you, Ollie? I was about to say, you can't possibly say that and then look at me. <laughs> oh, like yeah. Terrible... I forgot you were a judge. Yeah. Um, amazing bunch of and Ollie. Oh, yeah. Uh, but we've got um, Rennie Elliott, haven't we, of Planet Organic, mm-hmm. who's incredible, and John Stapleton of um, New Covent Garden Food Company and Little Dish, and we've got Ollie and other people. So we've got a really good bunch of people who, who you can get in front of. And uh, we're doing the finals at Bread and Jam. Yeah, Bread and Jam, early October in London. In London. So if you're doing something amazing, and it's great profile as well, um, make sure you go on to the Speciality Food magazine website. And again, there'll be links from Food Talk. And make sure you enter and get the 
what do you call the acknowledgement you deserve um so don't forget you farming guys you should be doing that too so you've been listening to the food talk show um as you know we're on lots of different radio stations across the uk and further afield you can also download our weekly podcast from itunes stitcher player fm spotify and the podcast app on your phone as well as the wonderful great british chefs website Thank you to my fellow presenters, Ollie Lloyd of Great British Chefs. Have you finished eating your cake? Are you only I'm, halfway I'm through? I'm close. I can't believe you've eaten all that. I mean, yeah, make sure you get, get one in before before Easter comes. Yes, and Holly Shackleton, a specialty food magazine. I think you've got some I think you've got some on your face. Have I? Yeah. I usually do. I have some kind of food stuff. Yeah. Joy, the joy of radio, really, really you don't know if that's true on or not. You know, no, like, I don't. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's just so mean. I will no do it in a couple of minutes. Did you, 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 you get it? Yeah. Um, and um, if you want to recommend any future guests doing something groundbreaking in the food sector, get in touch with us via Twitter on at Food Talk Show. Holly's really cross with me. Um, if you want to listen to any of the hundreds of podcasts going back years now, go to foodtalk.co.uk. And I really hope you have a good week. Bye. You did. No, I used a spoon. You did. <laughs> did I? <laughs> <laughs>